Rome wasn't built in a day, and neither is the church, and neither is every individual stone shaped and fitted for his or her place in the church of God in a day. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. I'm Bill Wright, and Tom is continuing his current series, The One and Others. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus commanded his followers to love one another. In fact, in the New Testament alone, we encounter these commands to be or do something to one another more than 50 times. Last time, Tom described some practical ways to begin to love all people equally well. But what are some ways to love other believers, and what should be your motivation? What two things should occupy your mind when loving one another? Let's join Tom to find out today on The Word Unleashed. Turn to Acts 27 and 28. Paul has been placed under arrest by the Romans. He's chained to a Roman guard, facing an uncertain future that may include even execution, in spite of the fact that he is utterly innocent of the charges that have been brought against him. On top of that, he was placed on a ship with 275 other people. And because they sailed at the wrong time, and a time when the weather was treacherous, they have, by the time we come to the portion I'm going to show you in just a moment, they have spent the last 14 days without food, probably a combination of seasickness and just inability to prepare it. They're caught in such a violent storm that no one is able even to eat, according to chapter 27, verse 33. And after all of that, the ship, as you know, wrecks on a reef. And through God's incredible goodness and providence, all 276 people on board survive and make it to land. And God used Paul in the midst of that circumstance to accomplish that incredible miracle of survival. So that there's a sense in which Paul becomes a kind of folk hero to all those people on board, those 275 other people who survived this incredible ordeal. Now, how would you react to those circumstances? It's hard to imagine, really, a worse circumstance than that. You have been arrested, taken from everything that you know and love, find yourself accused of things you didn't do, facing possible execution, and then you're in the middle of a shipwreck. You go without food for 14 days, and finally you make it to land. I want you to see in the midst of those circumstances Paul's amazing heart of service. Chapter 28, verse 1. When they, that is all of the people on board, had been brought safely through, then Luke says, we found out that the island was called Malta. The people who lived there, the natives, showed us extraordinary kindness, for because of the rain that had set in and because of the cold, they kindled a fire and received us all. But what I want you to see is verse 3, because in verse 3, we catch Paul, just a glimpse of this great man, this man with a powerful intellect, with a great ministry, chained to a Roman guard, wrongly accused, now a hero of sorts, and in the midst of those circumstances, what is Paul doing? Verse 3, 
when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire. Paul, even in that circumstance, is in the midst of serving others. He goes on to serve the rest of the people on the island. You remember down in verse 7, now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us courteously three days. It happened that the man's father was lying in bed, afflicted with a recurrent fever and dysentery, and Paul went in to see him, and after he had prayed, he laid his hands on him and healed him. And after this had happened, the rest of the people on Malta who had diseases were coming to him and getting cured. So Paul, in the midst of the worst of circumstances, continually is concerned about and is serving others. What an incredible example of the spirit that we are to have for one another. We began last week to look in the New Testament at those some 50 plus times we encounter these commands of our responsibility to be or to do something to one another. We commonly call these commands the one another's. And that 50 or so, and that's a rough number, includes a lot of repetition so that all of these occurrences can be placed into a relatively small number of categories or groups. Now, there are a number of ways we could legitimately group them. I've chosen for our study four categories that I think will include most of the 50 or so of these commands. Four key words that summarize those four categories. If you can remember these four words, and I'll fill out your knowledge of them and what they mean over the coming couple of weeks, but if you can remember these four words, then you'll have a decent grasp of our responsibility to each other. The four words are motivation, occupation, orientation, and conversation. Motivation. It's to be love, genuine love for other people. We are to be motivated in every interaction toward one another by a genuine love. Today I want us to look briefly at the second category, and that is occupation. What is to be the thrust of our ministry to one another? What are to be the overarching goals that we're to have? What are we to be occupied with? You see, when you think about the word occupation, you think of career. What occupies the majority of your time and energy? You may do other things, but your occupation is what you do primarily. And what is to be our occupation and our ministry to one another? Well, there are two recurring commands that are overarching in the direction they give and that mark out for us the occupation of our lives toward one another. The command to build up one another and the command to serve one another. You may work as a pilot or a doctor or a businessman or a housewife or a teacher or some other capacity, but when it comes to your responsibility to other Christians, you have two occupations. You are a builder, or you're to be a builder and a servant. Now in our study, I want us to examine these two commands that are to be our occupation. First, we are to build up one another. The concept of building up other believers was a passion of the Apostle Paul's and he often refers to it. In fact, turn to 2 Corinthians. You see that his letter to the Corinthians, his second letter here that we have recorded for us, 
recounts this passion again and again. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 8, as Paul writes to the Corinthians, defending his apostleship against those false apostles that had gathered in Corinth and were trying to undermine Paul, he says in verse 8, For even if I boast somewhat further about our authority, now watch this, our authority as an apostle, Paul says, I have apostolic authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you. Paul says, the passion of my life, the direction of my ministry is to build you up. In chapter 12, verse 19, he makes the same point. All this time you've been thinking that we are defending ourselves to you. Actually, it is in the sight of God we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved, to build you up. Chapter 13, verse 10, for this reason I am writing these things while absent so that when I finally come, I won't need to be severe in accordance with the authority. Here he is back to that authority he has as an apostle. He says the same thing, which the Lord gave me for building up and not for tearing down. Paul says, here is the heart of my ministry. It is to build you up. And in his writings, Paul constantly refers to the image of a building to make this clear. We've been studying together on Sunday night that the church is often pictured as a building. The building can be the universal church, that is, all true believers that together constitute a building or a temple as it's usually described. You see this in Ephesians chapter 2. Turn there for a moment. In Ephesians 2, you see this image. Verse 19, we are of God's household, he ends verse 19, Ephesians 2, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building, that is, all of those who have genuinely believed in Christ, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together, Ephesians, into the dwelling of God in the Spirit. So the building can be the entire body of people who are true believers in Jesus Christ, wherever they may be across the world and across time. Or the building can also be not only the universal church, but the local church. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, Paul writes to the Corinthians, you, that is, you there in Corinth, are the temple of God. So the church is like a temple built by God himself to be his dwelling. Now here's where the command to build one another up comes in. It's based out of that image of the church as a building. This church, just like the church in Corinth, is figuratively speaking the temple of God, the place where God especially manifests his presence. Now I'm not talking about this building. I'm talking about the people who make up the church. We, the people, are the church, not a building. Together, we as believers here in this place are the temple of God. Paul again writing to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 6, 16 says, We are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. We are a dwelling for God. We are indwelt in a special way by His Spirit. 
That's what the church is. Now listen carefully. In that New Testament image of the church as a building, as a temple, each one of us is a stone in that temple. Listen to Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. So each of us, there's a sense in which each of us is a stone in this temple, if you will, in which our God specially manifests his presence. But we're not merely a stone, we're also to be builders. We're to assist in the building. This becomes clear in the commands that are throughout the New Testament. Here's one example, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Paul, in the context, has just told the people in Thessalonica that someday we will live together with Christ. And he says, therefore, 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another and build up one another. Build up one another. You see, all of us are to have the mindset of builders. We cannot, we must not destroy other stones or other believers by our words or by our actions. In fact, God takes very seriously when we enter his house, the church, and take out our sledgehammer and, as it were, begin to damage the other stones. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul says this, you, Corinthians, are a temple. Your church in Corinth constitutes a temple. And listen to what he says. If any man destroys that temple, God will destroy him. So we're not to tear down other stones. We're not to damage other stones by our actions. Instead, we are to build up one another. Now, as you go through Paul's writings, you see this recurring again and again. If you come to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, for example, and he begins a section in 1 Corinthians 8, 1, dealing with Christian liberty and specifically dealing with issues of conscience. Now, I'm going to touch on that several times, so let me just clarify and make sure you understand. Scripture very clearly commands certain things, and Scripture very clearly forbids other things. But there are a number of things in our lives about which we have to make decisions that aren't dealt with in a clear chapter and verse in Scripture. Those decisions we need to make, those categories, are called issues of conscience, are places where we can exercise our Christian liberty. Whether you're talking music or dress or there are a whole number of issues that fall into this area of issues of conscience. And Paul and the Holy Spirit tell us exactly how it is we should address these things that aren't directly either forbidden or demanded in Scripture. And he does so in Romans chapter 14 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 through 10. As Paul introduces this section in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, on issues of conscience, listen to what he writes in verse 1. He says, now concerning things sacrificed to idols. Now here he's picking out a contemporary example of an issue of conscience. It was, is it okay for a Christian to buy the meat that was sacrificed to a pagan god? You could go and out the back door of the pagan temple, you could buy a pretty good cut of meat really cheap because somebody had already had to pay for that to have it sacrificed. So they could offer you a great discount. A lot of Christians went, as we all like discounts, they went and they enjoyed the meat. 
Other Christians said, how can you do that? That's been sacrificed to idols. And so there was this disagreement. This was an issue that wasn't clearly addressed in the Scripture, and so Paul lays down principles, and the principles he lays down apply not only to the eating of meat sacrificed to idols, but all of the issues of conscience that we have to address as well. As he begins that, 1 Corinthians 8, 1, Now concerning those things, he says, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. That Greek word for edifies is the same word for building. To edify is simply to build up. It literally means to build a structure. And here, listen carefully. This comes to the heart of it. What does it mean to build up? When this word, to edify, is used figuratively, as it is here, and as it is in these other contexts we're looking, it always refers to promoting another Christian's spiritual growth and health. To build up another person is to promote their spiritual growth and health. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 at the end of the section on Christian liberty. Verse 23, he says, All things are lawful. All of these things that haven't been clearly forbidden by Scripture, they're lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things, what? Edify or build up. So even as you think about your Christian liberty, you are to consider what will build others up, what will promote other Christians' spiritual growth and development. Paul says the same thing in Romans chapter 14 where he deals with this same issue of Christian liberty. In Romans 14 verse 19, he says, So then let us pursue the things which make for the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of these issues of conscience, he says. Chapter 15 of Romans verse 1, he tells us that those who are strong, that is, who think it's okay to eat meat sacrificed to idols, ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength, those who think it's a problem, and not just please ourselves. Each of us, 15.2, is to please his neighbor for his good to his, or with the goal of, his edification, his being built up, his spiritual growth and development. This concept occurs in other contexts as well. For example, what about when the church meets for worship? This is to be a preoccupation. Not only are we primarily to meet for worship, but we're also to meet to build one another up, and we're to do those things which will encourage and promote spiritual growth. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, as Paul deals with the problem in Corinth of tongues, the abuse of it, he says in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially the gift of prophecy. Now, in this context, prophecy is nothing more than the capacity to speak publicly the Word of God, to speak forth or to proclaim the Word of God. And he says, you need to seek that gift. Why? Verse 3, because the one who prophesies speaks to men for building up. Verse 12, so also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for what will build up the church, what will edify the church. Verse 26, and he says, listen, when you get together, there's all this confusion. You're all doing your own thing. The end of verse 26, let all things in the corporate worship be done for what builds up, what edifies. So whether you're talking about Christian liberty or when we come together as a church or 
Even our daily communication. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, Paul says, Don't let any corrupt word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for what? Edification. Building up others. We are to speak in such a way as to build others up, to promote their spiritual growth. So folks, get the picture. The church is a building, a temple of God, and Christ is building this temple, and he's shaping and honing every one of us, every stone, so that we fit perfectly together. And you and I are to assist in the building by promoting the spiritual growth of the believers around us. Now let me just ask you a pointed question. Can the people that live in your home honestly say that you promote by your example, by your words, their spiritual growth and development? Can the people who know you in this church honestly say before the Lord that you are building them up, that you are promoting their spiritual growth and health? How can you do it? How can you build others up? How can you promote the spiritual growth of other Christians? If you're a Christian, your occupation is to promote the spiritual growth of other Christians. You know, I think it's fascinating that the Holy Spirit chose this image to picture the church because in the ancient world, temples required a great amount of time to build. Take Herod's temple, for example. It took 84 years to build Herod's temple. In fact, they completed it just six years before 70 AD when it was all destroyed. Several visits to England, I've had the opportunity, as some of you have had, to visit Canterbury Cathedral, that magnificent building. To complete that amazing structure as it stands today took over a thousand years. And you know, I really think the Holy Spirit chose this image of a temple for this very reason. Because it describes the faithful, painstaking, patient work that we are to invest in each other's lives. Rome wasn't built in a day, and neither is the church. And neither is every individual stone shaped and fitted for his or her place in the church of God in a day. It takes time and patience. But we are to be engaged in that process. So we are to be builders. We're to build one another up. Our second occupation is to be servants. Not only are we to build one another up, but we are to serve one another. There's so many places where we're commanded to do this. One example is Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. There in the context, Paul is saying, listen, you are free now from the law as a way of trying to achieve a righteousness of your own, a salvation of your own. He said, but don't use that freedom as an opportunity to pursue the satisfaction of your flesh. Instead, he says, through love, serve one another. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part three of his current series, The One Anothers. Tom will bring you part four on our next broadcast as he once again takes us to God's Word. And we do hope you'll join us then. Well, Tom, loving other believers today can be difficult, can't it? Especially when much of the world is so focused on what divides us. 
You know, Bill, that's exactly right. There are so many things today that are dividing Christians that are unimportant. They're issues of conscience. And part of really loving others and building them up is letting them answer to the Lord for those issues that aren't addressed. I think it's so important for us to remember as we think about this issue of loving others, loving the Lord by loving others, is that we remind ourselves of the inherent unity that has been created by the Spirit. We're going to talk more about that, but we are united to other believers through the work of the Spirit, immersed together into the body of Christ so that we are each part of the body of Jesus Christ. And we need to relate to each other in such a way where we're concerned about the other members and not merely ourselves, and certainly not destroying them or tearing them down. Thanks, Tom. And friend, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And don't forget to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.